Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Today's your hour, Ask a Nun, everything from spiritual direction to behavior modification, overcoming that sin you've had, a really difficult time ditching. You may say, I've been going to confession, I've confessed it over and over again. It's time to do a little more work. It's not Lent, but it doesn't have to be Lent to work on growth. So often we talk about spiritual growth, work growth, stronger relationships, yet for some reason we tend to isolate spiritual growth to that Lenten season and leave it there, when in reality it impacts all areas of our life. So joining me today will be Sister Tina Alfieri. She's a hermit, a therapist, an addiction specialist, and it's Ask a Nun. So if you have a question, you ask that question. Number is 888-914-9149. She specializes in addiction, also sexual addiction as well, but your top your question doesn't have to be along those lines we're going to unpack going to the depths of growing as an individual again we so often talk about this within the context of lent overcoming that particular sin why not now what better time to unpack that we'll talk about that more in just a few moments here on trending and i love to plan ahead i don't know if you do Uh, relevant radio is partnering partnering with the National Eucharistic Congress as the premier sponsor. So what does this mean? National Eucharistic Congress will be held in Indianapolis one year from now, July of 2024. Talk about planning ahead. We'll be broadcasting live on site all day into the evening, and we want you to join us. Let's show up for Jesus at this once-in-a-lifetime celebration of the Eucharistic Congress, July 17th to 21st in Indianapolis. You can learn more and keep up to date about the Congress by signing up at relevantradio.com slash indie. See you there. And here's the exciting thing about this and why I'm excited to see you there, because I had the opportunity to go to the World Meeting of Families. And I think that was 2015. And one of the chants, and the whole city of Pennsylvania and everywhere there in Philadelphia, we saw just the transformation of the city into this celebration of being Catholic. And there were, if you could not see, if you couldn't, were not in earshot of perhaps the direct papal mass that happened after the world meeting of families, then you were on the streets because there were over a million people there that day. And I just remember one of the chants that went through the streets was there, there ain't no party like a Catholic party. And people kept chanting that over and over again. And there is so much joy to be together, to be Catholic, to be among like-minded people in our sinfulness, in our desire to serve Jesus, to know him. This is going to be repeated. I think that energy at the National Eucharistic Congress coming up in July of 2024. I hope you'll make it a priority to try and be there. I'll be there. So I'm excited to see you and meet you face to face. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. 
We're going to continue our series on Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body and what the creation of the human person meant from the perspective of human anthropology, which is theological and philosophical. So stay with us as we unpack that. I do want to talk about St. Camillus. It's his, it's his, I almost said birthday, it's his feast day, which is even better than a birthday because it celebrates him entering into the kingdom of heaven. Do we ever think about that for a moment? The significance of these feast days. St. Camillus actually had a gambling addiction that he had developed while he was in the army. And eventually he ran out of money and he had to go home. And at that time he contracted an uncurable disease that left him with sores all over his body, in particular his legs. Now, St. Camillus ended up having this massive uh, reversion into his faith and confessed. And it was fascinating to see the whole story of him because he really became devoted to serving the poor and the sick. But what's significant to me about his story is that St. Camillus is an example of when we have addictions in our lives. While we may not have gambling addictions or necessarily pornography or sexual addiction, there are a lot of addictions, everything from the way we use cell phones, binge-watching shows, uh, repeatedly complaining, so many things we can fail at in life. And apart from the grace of Jesus Christ and sound spiritual direction, it can be a true uphill battle to overcome those bad habits and addictions, which is why I'm so excited to be joined today by Sister Tina Alfieri. This is your hour, Ask a Nut. She's a hermit, a therapist, and an addiction specialist, and she's joining me today on Trending. And by the way, she also does specialize in sexual addiction as well. So if you have a question along those lines, we're happy to take it. The number is 888-914-9149. You can also ask the question now on social media on my Instagram. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, where you can direct message me or check out my story and type in your question. I put up a question box there. Again, that's at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. One more time, the number is 888-914-9149. Sister Tina, welcome back to Trending. Thank you, Timmery. God bless you. So nice of you to invite me back. Let's take a deep dive as I know questions are coming in for you. This is the hour, Ask a Nun. It's a unique opportunity. I know people have questions about everything from how can a hermited nun also talk on Catholic radio? We'll get to that in a little bit. But let's kick off with a couple questions I would love to throw your way. I love to read. I know a lot of uh, people are kind of yay or nay with regard to reading. I say it's fundamental to being Catholic. We have to cultivate reading Mm -hmm. in our lives. So what is maybe your go-to? to book. Maybe we can start with a single go-to if you didn't read any other book, and then what would be included on your book recommendation list to grow in your faith? Oh, goodness. It's so difficult to pick just one book. Um, I think, of course, the number one go-to book would be the Gospels, uh, the the New Testament, the Gospels, uh, what Jesus himself has taught us and what we've had handed on to us through our uh, apostles. So that would be number one. Um, I think uh, it depends also, I think the reason why it's so hard to pick one book is I think it really depends on where you are in your spiritual life, in your spiritual growth. Uh, I like what I believe it was St. Paul said, you know, we don't give uh, milk forever to children. They have to start eating meat at some point. And so what we might suggest for a beginner 
in the spiritual life, we would not give to someone who is, quote-unquote, mature or an adult. They need to be fed on something heartier. They need meat to continue to grow spiritually. So I think for a beginner, someone who's just dipping their toes in, I really suggest uh, Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. Mm. Um, He's very gentle. He's very practical, and he gives very prudent guidance um, to beginners in the beginning of their spiritual growth. And um, he has a great balance between piety and not going going overboard, so to speak. Um, I do find sometimes in beginners there's there's a great enthusiasm, which is fantastic. It's great to be enthusiastic but they can go overboard. And St. Francis de Sales has a great little saying that the uh, family man cannot live like the monk, and the monk cannot live like the family man. Neither Mm. would be living their vocation truly. So Mm. uh, what I find sometimes in beginners, that enthusiasm, they're trying to live more like a monk. Uh, If, you know, if you're a family person, you've got Uh, a job to attend to, you have children to raise, to provide for. If you were living that vocation fully as parent, caregiver, caretaker, then you are living the devout life. It doesn't necessarily have to be two hours a day spent in prayer, or if you can't make daily mass, that's okay. Maybe there'll be another time in your life where you might be able to do that, maybe after the children are grown and out of the house, But for right now, living your vocation well, if that is being a parent, a spouse, and being attentive to that is how you best serve God. So enthusiasm is a great thing, but one can go overboard. And that's why it's important. uh, If we're thinking about being serious, growing in the spiritual life, we have a spiritual director because many people might think, well, how can you go overboard in prayer or overboard in devotion? Trust me, you can, <laughs> and it's not, um, it's not a pretty sight to see. And also the evil one loves to take advantage yes. of beginners and their enthusiasm, get them exasperated, get them tired to where they just totally give up altogether. And an example I love of this is a dear priest friend of mine often talks about St. John Vianney and how he took up on all these sacrifices. And one of those sacrifices he took on was just eating potatoes for a while. And the devil would actually mm. mock St. John Vianney, calling him the potato eater. And part of the significance of that mockery was that while St. John Vianney is a saint, and even he was mocked by the devil at times, which would tell us mm-hmm. to be careful, that the devil was using against St. John Vianney excessive penances that St. John Vianney was taking upon himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have to be careful, and there's nothing wrong with being a beginner. We're all beginners at one point in our lives. So if you are a beginner, you need some good uh, guidance, some good instruction, and, you know, there's no length of time that we can be a beginner. I always like to refer to myself as just an advanced beginner. Uh, You know, I might be just maybe a little further along 
but I do not have it all together. And I have a spiritual director and I go to spiritual direction and I have my faults that I need to work on as well. So, you know, I'm not out here levitating or (laughs) anything like that. I am just a person trying to do the will of God. Amen. So just to summarize, Sister Tina, that first question was your go-to book recommendation to grow in your faith. You said, number one is the Bible, diving into the Gospels as a great starting point. Number two, a book outside of the inspired Word of God, which we should all be reading daily, is by St. Mm-hmm. Francis de Sales, and that's the Introduction to the Devout Life. I know so many Correct. people who this was their transformative book, highly recommended. I read it when I was 17. I think I need to reread it as an adult now because... There was a lot of good in it, but I think I was kind of picking through it with a different mindset. So I think sometimes we look at these books Mm -hmm. and we need to reread them because we see radically different things. So I know I need to reread the introduction to the devout life. We're going to post a link to that book. I know you actually provided me with a whole list of your go-to books, which we're going to include everything from the interior castle of St. Teresa of Avila to spiritual warfare and discernment of spirits by Dan Burke. So stay tuned. That'll be in the episode notes for today's show. If you want to check those out, you're listening to trending with Timory here on relevant radio. That's Sister Tina Alfieri. She's a spiritual director, a hermit and nun, as well as an addiction specialist. And she's here to answer your questions. Ask a nun, are you struggling in your faith? This is your opportunity. The number is 888-914-9149. Ask your question now. Okay, so Kat Pella on Instagram asks, does Sister Tina work with adult video game addicts? What do you do for video game addiction? Video game addiction is very difficult to work with. Um, Now, that's an area that I haven't had any experience with. Uh, I think that is more of a growing area. Uh, We go through uh, growing phases in the clinical uh, treatment field. Uh, You know, now we're getting a handle on sexual addiction and everybody's starting to realize, okay, that is an addiction. It does require treatment. There are clinicians such as myself who are trained specifically to deal with that. Um, There are some nuances that make it a bit different from any other addictions such as uh, alcoholism or drug addiction or gambling addiction. But there's still about a 90% commonality between all addictions. There's just some little different nuances So have I been trained specifically with video game addiction? No, I have not. But again, I do know that there are 12-step programs out there um, that are founded on the principles and the steps of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. Those are free and don't cost anything. And then there are some treatment programs. Now, they're very few. They're usually not covered by insurance, so it would be paying out of pocket so someone would have to have some deep pockets or financial resources to get them into a residential inpatient, you know, 21 to 28-day stay program for treatment of video game addiction or gaming addiction. We do know that this is problematic. Uh, the brain craves novelty. And let me tell you, you know, on the gaming screens, it's always new. Every single time, uh, there's a new uh, setup. There's a new way to uh, do the game. It's highly enjoyable, but that's and it's also fantasy. And so, this is where 
it's a lot like gambling. Gambling is also fantasy. You have the fantasy of I'm going to win it big. I'm going to hit it big. And it's this whole just having blinders on tunnel vision that you get lost in this fantasy bubble. And that's also a bit about what gaming does is it takes you out of reality the way that drugs and alcohol take you out of reality. It takes you out of reality into this arena where your cares really don't matter. Whether your bills are paid doesn't matter. The boss Mm. yelling at you or giving you a bad yearly appraisal doesn't really matter. You can be lost in this fantasy world, in this bubble where it's just fun and it takes your mind off of your own stressors and no one is really asking anything of you or demanding anything of you. The rigors of life do not exist in the video game. Mm. So it's very seductive. It's yeah. uh, very, uh, it's living in a fantasy. Um, and it's very, uh, I'm sure that everyone knows addictions of all kinds are time consuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, goodness gracious, the amount of time that is spent either going to uh, participate in one's particular addiction, recovering from uh, participating in one's particular addiction, the time actually spent with the addiction, it is all consuming. And everybody else around the addict uh, can see it, but the addict really can't. Mm. They don't understand why everybody else isn't joining in or why everybody else is so upset about them and their amount of time that they're spending doing it. So it sounds like professional help is very important in circumstances such as these. I'll throw a couple resources out there, actually three. Mm-hmm. Number one is ScreenStrong.com. The founder of ScreenStrong.com, actually, she was a nurse, and she dealt with her son who had a video game addiction that ended up impacting his school, going away to college. And mm-hmm. incredible story, but ScreenStrong.com is a great resource for helping to take back control of how screens are used within your home and your family and your mm-hmm. own life. And then CatholicTherapist.com, along with CatholicPsychotherapy.org. Catholic Psychotherapy, you can actually work with them. And if you need to contact them to find someone who specializes in treating video Mm -hmm, game addiction. mm -hmm. So those are a couple great resources on that note. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. It's your opportunity. Ask a nun. It's Sister Tina Alfieri, a hermit, a therapist, as well as an addiction specialist here on Trending. If you'd like to ask a question, the number is 888-914-9149. Marissa on Instagram has a question. How do we know what God is asking of us? Ah, (laughs) so how do we know? Well, the first thing that we must do is we must spend time in prayer, actually communicating with God uh, and spending some quiet time alone with him, asking about that particular question. Now, um, I will let you know that the discernment of spirit, uh, you did mention the list of books I had suggested. There's two on there. Uh, Spiritual Warfare and the Discernment of Spirits by Dan Burke, and then The Discernment of Spirits and Ignatian Guide for Everyday Living by Father Timothy Gallagher. Both of those talk about decision-making, and that's what a lot of the Ignatian spirituality is about, is learning through these 14 rules that St. Ignatius devised, of how to find and determine the will of God. 
Now, some things are pretty basic. We know that the will of God is never going to ask us or direct us to do anything that's evil, that's against the Ten Commandments, that's against the virtues. That's pretty basic. But again, you'd be surprised how many people think, oh, it's the will of God for me to engage in XYZ, which is per, uh, definitely sinful. So, you know, we have to understand that discernment of spirits is, um, it may sound scary. It's not talking about, you know, ghosts and woohoo type stuff, but mm-hmm. it's talking about understanding the pull of the evil one versus the pull of God. And how do I discern that in everyday decision-making, such as um, maybe which college do I go to? I know this is the time of year uh, many people are taking uh, tests, the ACT or the uh, SAT. Uh, They're trying to get together um, all of their applications for um, college in the fall, maybe they've been accepted, they're going away, maybe now their question is, what does God want me to study? What should my major be in the university? So all of these are questions that delight God that we want His input, we want to know His will, and He's ready to give us His will. So I really encourage anyone dealing with decisions uh, decision-making, choosing between two goods, especially two goods, that's a very difficult decision, such as do I go to Yale or do I go to Harvard? I've been accepted to both places. Which do I go? Both are equally good. And so sometimes that decision of how do I decide between two equal goods is very mm-hmm. difficult. Mm-hmm. But St. Ignatius of Loyola has given us 14 rules of discernment, And thanks be to God, we have uh, Father Timothy Gallagher has written a fantastic book. It is a fantastic uh, help. And then Dan Burke's book is even more basic. And that's where I like to start out with people, is with um, spiritual warfare and the discernment of spirits. It's very, very basic for someone who has no understanding of the 14 rules. It's very clear. for someone who's had some experience in Ignatian spiritual direction or dealing with the 14 rules of discernment, then Father Timothy Gallagher's book has that more heartier meat that's going to help you grow more, like we were talking about earlier, and grow uh, deeper in understanding how this works in the spiritual life. This is an excellent topic. And just to summarize here, how do you know what God is asking of us? That's such a general and broad topic, yet our Catholic faith has much to say. Sister Tini says, mm-hmm. spend time in prayer. How to find that uh, really God isn't going to ever ask us to do what is wrong. And that's important. You Correct. recommended two books, Spiritual Warfare and Discernment of Spirits by Dan Burke and The Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to Everyday Living by Father Timothy Gallagher. We're going to post links to those on social media, as well as all of these books are listed in the episode notes. One really good tip that comes back to your your first point, Sister Tina, of making sure you spend time in prayer is, remember, my mom always taught me growing up, if you're staying in a state of grace and you're making decisions, you're going to be making good decisions. But if we're not striving— That is so correct. Yeah. And when we're not striving to stay in a state of grace, and we don't have God as our primary perspective, when we're not in a state of sanctifying grace, it's harder to make decisions. Life often seems mm-hmm. like chaos. And mm-hmm. I think 
I think that's significant because when you are in a state of grace, even when there are good options before you, the discernment, even when you say, well, here are two goods, I think there's a greater mm-hmm. sense of freedom in pursuing those goods and also searching for another if your gut is saying, this isn't the good thing for me in particular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Correct. And I really have to commend your mother and her wisdom because that is very true. She sounds like a very holy woman. <laughs> Thank you. This is Sister Tina Alfieri here on Trending with Timory. It's your hour. Ask a nun any question about being Catholic, how to live out your Catholic faith, overcome that bad habit. Sister Tina Alfieri is a hermit, a therapist, and addiction specialist here with us today on Trending. So ask your question. The number is 888-914-9149 or ask now on my Instagram. Follow me at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. We'll be right back with Sister Tina Alfieri taking your questions. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Ask a nun. It's your hour today on Trending. Sister Tina Alfieri is a hermit and nun. She specializes as a spiritual director. A thera- she works as a therapist professionally as well as an addiction specialist. She's with us today on Trending asking your questions. If you want to give us a call to ask your question to Sister Tina, the number is 888-914-9149. This is a topic, and I always love advice on this, because at the end of the day, all of us have a predominant sin. And we hear often from the experts, from St. Teresa of Avila to St. John of the Cross, to work on your predominant sin, to overcome that part of yourself, to grow in virtue. Yet, I think the question, Sister Tina, that is often there is, how do you figure out what that predominant sin is in order to work on it? Sure, what a great question. And actually, it's pretty easy uh, to know what one's predominant fault or predominant Sin is sometimes people refer to it as root sin. Um, I've heard it called all sorts of different things. Um, But think about your last several confessions. What are the things that you keep taking to confession? What are the things that you keep having to confess and struggle with? That's an indication that there is a vice. Uh, that there is a um, potential problem in that area. And so one of the easiest ways uh, to work on that, of course, is confession, the sacrament of confession, and also practicing the opposite virtue. So if someone uh, is struggling with, let's say, uh, feeling superior to others, uh, maybe they're always condescending to others, they're snarky, to others, they're judgmental, then we would, or I would encourage them to start very much practicing humility, the virtue of humility, which is the opposite of that superior grandiosity that many people get caught up in, especially in the way that um, in the workaday world, 
to be number one. We hear that everywhere in the work culture. And sometimes it's okay to not be number one, but to be the nice person instead of being uh, number one or the best. How about just being the best in humility or uh, serving others? So it's very easy to know uh, what one's particular predominant fault or root sin is. It's those things that you are continuously, maybe you've been struggling with them for years. That's It's the struggle mm-hmm. because it is a core part of your spiritual life that you're having to deal with. Mm-hmm. And it shows up in all different areas of your life. So let's just take uh, being superior or having an air of superiority uh, or grandiosity. Um, that's just not a, in the work life. That might be, I'm going to be the best cook, uh, and you spend tons of time, effort, money trying to be the very, very best uh, to the detriment of you know family uh, that you are supposed to be helping or to the detriment of uh, friends who are saying, you know, gee, you seem to be overly consumed with making the best apple pie. Sister Tina, give it a rest, you know. Um, so it just shows up in all different areas of our life. And again, uh, we can uh, ask those close to us. This is also another great way. Ask people who know you best. If you're married, ask your spouse. That's a big, <laughs> scary question. Ask your spouse, what do you think my predominant fault is? Where are my faults? I think it's a great thing to have a good friend you can ask. And if you are asking, be willing to hear what they are saying. You know, attorneys talk about don't ask a question you don't know the answer to. You probably already know the answer to this question. What's my predominant fault or where are my big major areas I need to improve on? You probably already know. It's those things if you do a very good examine of conscience before you go to confession, you're probably very aware yourself already. Can I ask a question? Because I think a lot of the time we as Catholics, unfortunately, many keep ourselves from the sacrament of reconciliation. So you started off with that point of, mm. you know, go to mm-hmm. confession. What are you taking to confession repeatedly? Which I think that is mm-hmm. the go-to if you are a regular and going to confession. But what if you're not going to confession? Obviously, the answer is get your butt to confession. <laughs> However, how do you start to dig in to understand, I mean, to prepare for confession, but also to find that predominant sin? So um, there are many good examines. Uh, sometimes it's called an examination of conscience. There's many good ones out there on the Internet. You can just do a Google search for those. And I really like for beginners, let's say this is someone who maybe has lapsed in confession or hasn't been to confession in a while. I really like just starting with the basics, the Ten Commandments. Let's just start going through the Ten Commandments, and where I've been breaking those and how I've not been keeping them. And then maybe let's look at the Beatitudes. Uh, You know, blessed be the peacemakers. Well, have I been a peacemaker or have I been more contentious? Am I argumentative? These are the places to begin for beginners. And again, use your Bible, use the Internet, do a Google search, it's all free and it's all there. 
Excellent resources. We'll post a link to a good examination of conscience as well, because I think that's a very mm-hmm. helpful to have. We'll include it in mm-hmm. the episode notes, relevantradio.com forward slash trending. Ask a nun. It's your hour here on trending. So many questions coming in. Let's take Jaya from St. Petersburg, Florida. Jaya, welcome to trending. What's your question for Sister Tina today? Hi, Tim Murray. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a question about after we reach this advanced level, like a in state of grace and following the virtues and Ten Commandments, um, but still have some some more little bit of confusion in, uh, for example, like taking uh, a job, like I have two leads and I don't know which one to take, but the, the discernment itself, does it have to do with glorifying God too? Yes, most definitely. Yeah, very good question. And yes, most definitely. And again, uh, I think you're describing what I was mentioning earlier about uh, the uh, the hardest or the most difficult discernment is trying to discern between two equal goods. I think I heard you say you've got two job leads. It's like, fantastic. Um, Which do I take, especially if they both offer me a position that's an enviable position to be in. It's a wonderful position, but yes, discernment of spirits uh, and understanding uh, being in prayer with God and asking God to gently speak to your soul about which would be the position that is going to, yes, glorify him the most. So again, it takes time and prayer. And I'm usually one, especially if you're making some kind of big decision, ask for time. Ask for maybe a week. You know, most employers will give you a week to make a discerning decision. And just let them know, I want to make a decision. Uh, I've got several offers. That's not a lie, right? I've got several offers, and I need to just spend some time And if you don't want to mention prayer, sometimes we can't in the secular world, depending on the setting, but I just need to spend some time with my good friend who helps me with these decisions, and our good friend is Jesus. So um, depending on how much time you have to make the decision is going to determine how much of a discernment you do. Some decisions we have to make are pretty immediate, maybe a day or two, and we just make the best decision we can with the information that we have. Again, keeping in mind that we don't do anything that violates the teachings of our faith and doing the best conscience um, search of our inner souls, our inner selves that we can. But if you've got some time to do more discerning a week, two weeks, even better. And using the readings by Father Timothy Gallagher or um, by Dan Burke uh, regarding Ignatian spirituality and decision-making and discernment of spirit will definitely help. So a lot of it has to do sometimes as well with how much time do you have to make your decision. 
Excellent. And we are including those links to books in the episode notes for today's show, relevantradio.com forward slash trending. And it's so important taking the time you do have to pray and using that as a discernment period, no matter, no matter how short or long. So often I talk to people and they're saying, you know, I'm feeling uneasy. I've got this opportunity. And I always say, you're Catholic. You are praying about this, right? You're not just making a decision and thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, I hear from so many people, you know what? You're right. I don't know why I'm not taking this to prayer. So it's a reminder mm-hmm. that often, you know, even seemingly people who are very Catholic need that reminder. And I do find Sister Tina when I'm baffled in making a, ch- a choice, I'll ask God to shut a door, shut one of these doors if necessary. And also recognizing sometimes the choice, the right choice often isn't easy. And that's always yeah. important. Sometimes mm-hmm. there are things that we need to detach from or attach ourselves to in order to walk through that door of discernment as well. Mm-hmm. Correct. Very good. Yes. Sister Tina, more questions are coming in. I know this is kind of a big picture question, but I did want to touch on it. Tom from Torrance, California called and he asked, why do men predominantly have sexual addictions? Well, it's not men necessarily, and it's not also predominantly men. Uh, You know, way back when, I'm going to take a trip in the way back machine. I'm old enough to remember. (laughs) I'm of a certain age. I'm old enough to remember when primarily the people, the patients or the clients that we saw in residential treatment for alcohol problems were all men. Interesting. Did that mean that women were not drinking and that women didn't have problems and issues with alcohol? Absolutely not. There's a culture uh, around women um, where it's very difficult to get help. I think it's even more difficult because many times the women are trying to take care of children and run a household. And if they are away getting help or getting treatment, who's going to be taking care of the children? Now, today in society, that's not so much more of a big question. But let me tell you, in the 60s and the 70s, there were not really that many men even married men who were parents of children doing the child caring. Um, So it became very difficult for women to go out and seek treatment for alcoholism. And because of that, lots of people thought women really don't have the potential that men do to develop as alcoholics. Well, we know that nothing could be further from the truth. So uh, women are always lagging behind, so to speak, in the uh, coming forward with having addictions and having treatment that caters to maybe some of the needs that women have as far as helping them to overcome barriers that would help them get into treatment. So I don't think it's necessarily that men predominantly have more sexual addiction than women. I do think it's about equal. It's about even. I think women have even more of a stigma Um, Mm -hmm. trying to get help. Uh, You know, I love 12-step fellowships. I love uh, the great uh, people of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Sexaholics Anonymous. But if you look primarily at how some of their original literature was written, it was all directed towards men and men getting help and men talking to men and all. And it's like... But thanks be to God, through the years, a lot of the literature ha- literature has changed because we understand that addiction 
strikes just as many women as it does men. And it doesn't matter what the form of addiction is. It's pretty evenly dispersed in the population. Again, regarding all addictive disorders, statistically, research shows that at any given time, 10% of the American population is struggling and dealing with some type of addiction. Interesting. So that's a really big percentage. I want to mention when, with regard to sexual addictions, a go-to resource, Sister Tina, I know you work with Integrity Restored and Jim O'Day as well. Mm-hmm. IntegrityRestored.com. That's IntegrityRestored.com is the go-to place for addressing sexual addiction from a Catholic perspective, even if it means that they can't work with you directly, finding a good Catholic therapist who will. And I just do have one thought with regard to why do men, it seems to have predominant sexual addictions. You mentioned that it's not just predominantly men. And I think that what's important is to mention often, generally speaking, the reasons are different. For men, men are more visual and sensually oriented. Women are often more sensual and sentimental and emotionally oriented Mm -hmm. when it comes to sexual addictions. And so their reasons are different, which is why part of the treatment is different in that process for sexual addiction. And we live in a culture that is so uh, overly stimulating in terms of the visual content that we Mm -hmm. see today. So I think that 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 influence is very significant. Sister Tina, so many questions coming in very briefly, because I know we have to go here in a second. There was a question that asked about your thoughts on the Catholic and recovery program, if you're familiar with it. Would you recommend it, yay or nay? Um, well, I'm somewhat familiar with Catholic in re- Catholics in recovery, and I think that it is a good adjunct. So there's nothing wrong with having a faith-based support group. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. I don't think that it can substitute or replace a 12-step group. Uh, they have different things, uh, different I guess, orientation. So I know for many of the clients that I work with, they want to go to Catholics in recovery. And for me, I'm like, that's fantastic. However, you're also going to be going to either Sexaholics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or Gamblers Anonymous. You can go to both. It's not a competition. It's not either or. It's like more help that we can throw at this addiction, the better. Um, I really prefer that people go to every type of help that's available. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous uh, is fantastic. It's the granddaddy of them all. Began in 1935. It's open to any spirituality, no spirituality. And so sometimes, uh, this might, my opinion here might be a bit unpopular, but I don't think we necessarily have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, We can definitely go Mm -hmm. to both, but one, they have different goals, so to speak. So for me, it's go to both. Uh, But if I had to go to one, it would just be a 12-step, something that ends in anonymous program. That's Sister Tina Alfieri. Sister Tina, thank you so much for joining us here on Trending, helping us with overcoming our bad sinful behavior, addiction, and so much more to grow in our faith. If you're listening to Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio, I'll be right back. And all of these recommendations we've mentioned are at relevantradio.com forward slash trending, which, by the way, can get all of these recommendations on the Relevant Radio app when you check out the podcast there. Just download it. It's for free. Relevant Radio app.
We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Pope St. John Paul II did a series of catechetical talks over the course of five years known as the Theology of the Body. Maybe you've heard of them, read a commentary. We're unpacking that Theology of the Body, focusing on what it means to be human and how it's it's explained from a theological perspective starting at the beginning of sacred scripture. Pope St. John Paul II in the first handful of talks focuses in on those first creation accounts in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. You should read along if you can while we're walking through this. But right now we're talking about this idea of what it meant for God to create the human person alone before he created Eve. That is, what did it mean for Adam to be alone? We read in Genesis chapter 2, it is not good that man should be alone. I want to make him a help similar to himself. Unpacking this significant element in Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, we see right here that in Adam being alone, having the opportunity to name all of the animals, having that sensitive dominion, he has, in a certain respect, a search for himself. There's a test that occurs. We'll unpack in a moment. It's a defining moment where he's searching for his identity. In philosophy, from an Aristotelian perspective, this is referred to as a concept of proximate genius, this idea where there's a statement that helps to explain the very nature of a thing. In other words, the very nature of who and what we are as human beings. Now, the state of being alone, theologically referred to as original solitude, actually really helps to explain the essence of nat- and nature of who we are as human beings. It's a defining moment, as you might say, many people say, they're defining experiences and moments in their lives. This is the defining moment for us as human beings, helping us to discover and understand our humanity. As we've been walking through this creation account of the human person, it first points to the difference between us and the rest of the visible world. Specifically, I would say second, the difference between us and the rest of the living beings, plants and animals. As Adam's going about naming everything, he's realizing they're different from him. And he, at the end of the day, what we discover, Adam, representing the first human person, is more like God than anything else on earth. In fact, as we look at this understanding of being alone in the garden, there's a sense of knowledge that is this idea of consciousness, of self. And looking and naming all of the animals, the first person, Adam, suddenly recognizes himself as different. And with that, he also understands the significance of free will and choice. And within this, we also see that there's a greater sense of him as a human being. And I think that this is especially relevant because we talk so often about knowing and getting to know ourselves based on our experiences. But at the end of the day, the defining moment, the identity that we need to come to know is through that defining moment of our experience and relationship to God. No other defining moment should define us. In fact, Pope St. John Paul II says in the sixth of the catechetical talks that the human person has, quote, a unique, exclusive, and unrepeatable relationship with God. That's really important. He says unique, exclusive, and unrepeatable. That's what our relationship with God is. That is, it's unique, exclusive, and unrepeatable, as in different from the rest of all of creation, but also apply it in a subjective sense 
with each and every single human person. What's true of the first human being, Adam, is also true of us. This is the context and defining moment and identity that we need to come to. It's rooted in God. And I think this is where the choice becomes so difficult for us as human beings. Even the choice that Adam himself faced with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what would he choose in that self-determination as he encountered that tree? And the one commandment at the dawn of creation that God originally gave him, to not eat from it. This is where we start to understand in this defining experience of understanding God created Adam alone in the garden, that we aren't made for this world. As Adam's naming all the animals, the body, his body, reveals that we aren't like the rest of the world. We're not like the rest of creation. He, Pope St. John Paul II, at one point refers to the body as a body among bodies. In other words, we are more than this. Yes, we have a body, and so does the animal, but we aren't just a body among bodies. We have a transcendental dimension to us. We a transcendent dimension. We're so much more than what we understand, what we appear to be. And I keep thinking when I was reading that comment from Pope St. John Paul II of the book Cheap Sex by Mark Regnerus. And I remember in reading the book, it kind of pointed to this idea that we've in this culture become a culture of pieces of meat rubbing up against each other and interacting. You can fill in the blank and that we're so much more than this, that as we're sharing in the created world, we have free will, we have choice. And Mark Regnerus in his book, Cheap Sex, points to the fact that women predominantly historically have always upheld the yes or no of intimacy and that women are the gatekeepers of honoring and protecting the potency of human life and the gift of marital love. And so Adam sees himself in the garden when he's naming the animals that God presents to him as alone, different. He has a sense of conviction that Adam didn't focus on how similar he was in that experience of naming the animals. He didn't focus on how similar he was to the animals, but instead on this idea of being alone. And this makes me even think about the idea of what does it mean to be holy? To be holy means to be set apart, to have a purpose. And so Pope St. John Paul II, in unpacking Theology of the Body, was prophetic in helping you and I to focus in on discovering that sense of purpose, identity, and to find that defining moment, to understand fundamentally that we're more like God than the rest of creation. And as we are in this midst of an identity crisis, an existential crisis in society where we've turned our backs on God, we've even turned our backs on our own bodies— we have to understand in that state of loneliness that we keep turning in on ourselves in, that we discover there's no other creature on an animal-like level that's like me but the human person. And the human person was created by God and created like God. And that's a defining moment for us to understand the pursuit of God in our self-identity. And this is what we'll continue to unpack in Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body this week, understanding what it means for God to create us alone in the garden prior to creating that complement of male and female. You can catch all the episodes on Theology of the Body that we're doing, summarize each week here at relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever you catch your podcasts. Coming up next is Father Simon from Father Simon Says, leading the family rosary across America. Don't go away. He'll be right here. 
This is Timory from Trending with Timory. A controversial topic that I really want to talk about is maybe everyone shouldn't go to college. You should change your mind or allow other people to change their minds. College is expensive and trade schools, along with many skills today, require certifications and not just a college degree. So it's a topic worth having for men and women. Join me Wednesday on Trending as we talk about this at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio.